Hello and welcome to Aramis Analysis, post-heartbreaking uh, Pulse City defeat. And uh, we have a very special guest today. We're going to talk a little bit about um, pressure in competition and um, achieving results, not achieving results in pressure situations. And we have pulled in a big gun to discuss that. Uh, one of my colleagues at Dartmouth College, uh, Mr. Stephen Gonzalez, uh, professional sports psychologist. And Stephen, do you just want to introduce yourself and explain a little bit about uh, your background in sports and outside of sports to the listeners? Yeah, sure. So I, um, I got my uh, start in, in the area of uh, mental performance and, and sports psychology uh, because I was an athlete myself. So I, I wanted to, um, I, I was an ice hockey player. I wanted to be a better ice hockey player. I, I started uh, running and um, trying to get in a little better shape back in the 90s, and I kind of got fast. So I ended up uh, <laughs> becoming a distance runner um, later on. And, uh, and, and I played midfield in, in, in uh, soccer in the, in the U.S., so I, I had an opportunity to uh, run a lot, which was great. And um, yeah, I just, uh, I, one of the things I credit to my career taking off was reading some books about, you know, just your mindset and, and how you, uh, how you approach races, how you approach pressure situations. And in college, I realized as a division one athlete, um, that, wow, that, that I'm working out as hard as I've ever worked out, but there's a big differentiator, um, with the mental side of things. So I wanted to pursue that as my passion. So I took that all the way to the university of Utah where I did my PhD and uh, since then, I've worked with um, the United States military. I've worked with uh, professional athletes, Olympic trials uh, qualifiers. And uh, next year, I will finally have my first Olympian, um, which you know, would have happened this year. But uh, last, uh, you know, we'll, we'll delay it a year. But nonetheless, I'm excited for <laughs> and, and all of that. So, um, so it's been a ride, but it's been really cool to see just holistic high performance in a variety of different settings. Yeah. And sincere apologies for not introducing you as... Dr. Stephen Gonzalez. Oh, that's come on. That's, 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 that's too formal. Won't <laughs> make that mistake again. So what we're going to talk about today is, uh, you know, it's, it's tough when you're watching as a fan and it's sure it's tough as a player and as a coach to uh, get through 90 minutes of a game and then a minute into stoppage time you let in a winner. Um, but this is not an isolated incident with Middlesbrough. And it's something that's not been brought up enough you know as this season's gone on there is a, a narrative set in uh that Middlesbrough's got no money to compete no resources don't have the players etc um but 13 times in the 40 league games so far Middlesbrough have conceded a goal that either equalizes the game or concedes a game winner 13 times in 40 games and if you don't have the money and you don't have the players and you don't have the talent, that doesn't run out at the 70-minute mark. You know, I would argue with anybody that if you have the ability 13 times out of 40 to go into the last 20 minutes of a game level or ahead, you have the ability and the resources and the money to get results in those games. And any leader that doesn't think like that is doing a poor job. Uh, beneath the surface there, it's six winning goals in the last 20 minutes. It is six equalizers or winners in the last five minutes. And that actually includes an 89th minute winning goal conceded to Birmingham when we'd, con when we'd scored an equalizer two minutes before. So it's, it's pretty brutal. 
to be honest with you. And uh, one further thing on that is the XG table. So what XG is, is it's not uh, a gospel, but it's, uh, it will run a game through a simulator and it will say how many crosses, how many set players, how many shots you had, where those shots come from, how many times you would expect to score a goal if that game was played 100 times. Um, and through that table, Middlesbrough's 11th out of 24 teams, which would suggest that the resources and the personnel to succeed at least to the level of being 11th is there. In fact, the games are showing that. Um, but the reality is Middlesbrough's 22nd and fighting for their lives in the division. And a huge part of that is the inability to close out games, to close out a draw without conceding a winner, or to defend a lead without letting up a late equaliser. Um, there's a professional team there with a full sports science staff that's never ever suggested a fitness issue. So I don't think there's any escaping from the fact that there is a mindset in this team that is flawed and to some extent weak. When I tell you those numbers, well, what are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard, um, particularly in uh, the English football system. Oh, and, and the consequences of, of not performing well. Uh, it, I mean, they're, they're, they're really serious consequences in terms of um, finances. And, uh, and, and because of that, when I look at teams in the, um, when I look at teams that are at risk of being demoted, um, I, I, really, I really wonder, it's like, all right, we, we have game after game after game where we're so close and something keeps happening to us. It, it almost becomes a kind of a, just a really sad expectation that, you know, here we go again. And, and that's a, and, and honestly, the, the disappointment there is, is really hard. I mean, I, I think again, in the United States and, and the way that our sports leagues work, I really worry about um, you know, like there's almost a lack of, of care at times. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Pittsburgh Pirates fan and the Pittsburgh Pirates could care less about, you know, winning, even though they say that they, they do. But the consequences are, you know, you don't get demoted to, to AAA baseball, even though the running joke is sometimes, you know, AAA baseball is what the Pirates are putting out there, and those are the best prospects for the rest of Major League Baseball <laughs> at that point. So that's me speaking as a critic. I mean, look, I, I, there's a lot of really great people in the Pirates organization that are doing some really great work. But, um, you know, to get over the hump, though, is, is, is really important. And when you find yourself – not in the Premier League. Now you're in the championship. All right, the championship, it's, it's not rock bottom, and, and you, you could be in and out, but it's a really great place to be. Still some great football. Um, you're, you're providing the fans with a lot of pride, and I understand the, the pride of your team representing your, 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 your city. So I, I got to wonder, um, if we look at this idea of, of pressure, there's, it's coming from multiple facets. It's the, the supporters of, of English football clubs are unlike any fan support that I've seen um, in my life. Um, and and there, is a, there is a real tie to communities. And when I look at, um, when I look at the teams and how they interact with their fans, it's, it's, a, it's, it's not just a casual relationship. Um, it's a very serious relationship. So people are really impacted um by whether or not their team wins or loses it is the pride middlesbrough, of middlesbrough fans are going to tell you that's an abusive relationship right now but you know it's it's, it's funny though right because it's it, a bit it, it's a factor there's the uh, there's the idea that um you know oh we could be we could be um demoted now what and and this this keeps building and all of a sudden you know we 
we have a new manager and, and, and there's just, there's so many things at play that eventually it becomes, what are the reasons I should be successful? You know, what, what are the, what, what, and, and it's hard to, to find those things when you feel like all of these external um, pressures are, are coming on to you. So uh, in this case, I mean, yeah, you get to that point and it's the sixth time and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're about to lose in the last five minutes again. After three times, okay, is this becoming an issue? Let's try to address it. And you, you know, hey, let's, let's give coaching staffs their, their due diligence, right? They're looking at film, trying to figure some things out, who to, who to put in what positions, et cetera, and what's, when to make subs. And then it happens a fourth time, then a fifth time. And then, all right, now we have six times in the last five minutes. And it's kind of like, all right, we, we seem to not have good tactical decision-making going on. We mm -hmm. seem to, uh, we're, we're at, we're at risk of being demoted. We're, um, you know, our, our, our fans are, are really upset with us and, uh, you know, aren't, aren't having the pride that, that we would like them to have. Um, those three sources right there make it really hard to see any type of optimism or hope or belief for that matter that you can overcome um, the situations that uh, this club is in. Yeah, it's funny you say that because there's been some suggestions since they restarted after COVID. Uh, that the empty stadium would help Middlesbrough in the home games because the the tension and the anxiety that was starting to be projected from uh, from crowd to field. So it's it's interesting that you bring that up. Um, one question I've got for you is what's the um, what's the responsibility of a of a head coach here? You know, like you're in this position. You know, it keeps happening to you again and again and again. And obviously, you're frustrated. And obviously. You don't want it to happen, but it does keep happening. You know, I'm a believer that Jonathan Woodgate didn't address it enough if he, if he ever actually addressed it at all. I believe there was a lot of deflection. Um, there was actually a statement, believe it or not, that uh, when he was asked how he felt about the team being low in the league table, his response was, it's lying. The league table's not telling the truth. Um, we're playing a certain way and it's going to pan out. So there was almost a complete denial of the results. Um, but as a psychologist, what, do you, what would you recommend any coach who's going through this? Because, you know, I would like to think not, but I'm assuming at some point in our career, all coaches will go through a run like this. How do you stop it? How do you intervene? What are some strategies you can use? Because uh, the here we go again can, uh, can be the worst feeling in the world, right? Yeah. And, and I think it's, you know, nobody's entitled to winning and nobody's entitled to losing. Mm -hmm. So, and, and the thing is, is when you see people attempt something for the first time or not even the first time, but people make an attempt, right? So if I'm a, uh, you know, if I'm taking a set piece outside the 18 and, uh, you know, it sails over the net or something like that, not a, not a horrible miss, but a miss nonetheless. Um, you know, sometimes you see these just big emotional moments of frustration or, or whatever. And it's kind of like, wow, you you know, are, are, were you entitled to make that shot? Why are you acting like, you know, something was taken from you in that particular situation yeah. when really it's something you have to earn. And, yeah. and I think that that's a, that's a big thing is, you know, we, we have to realize that there was a, there was a quote from Phil Jackson, the uh, coach of the Bulls and uh, the Lakers who um, in the most recent ESPN documentary about the, the last dance, uh, the last season of the Chicago great, Bulls. Great documentary. He says something like, you know, you're only, in a, you're only a success in the moment that you've done a successful act. And the thing is, is you have to do it again. 
And, and that's, that's so important is like, yeah, you have to be able to replicate success over and over and over again. And you're only successful in the moments that you've done a successful act. This, that right there makes outcomes so less important and more about what is the process that we're, we're getting into and how are we being successful in the steps it takes in order to eventually get the outcome that we'd like. So I think one of the things is we have to stop hitting panic buttons. And if I'm a coach, I have to really sit down and say, all right, you know, let, let's talk about how we're feeling in these moments. Um, you know, where, where's our mind? Uh, you know, what, what, what is our objective and, and how are we playing the game? I mean, are we playing to, gosh, at this point, a tie would be great. Rather, a draw would be great rather than a, a loss in the last five minutes. Um, are, are we just playing to hang on? How has it changed our style? I think back to the press conference when Jonathan Woodgate was uh, announced and, you know, people are talking about patience and building process and um, bringing up the academy and, and, you know, all of these things. And um, you, you almost can't blame uh, Jonathan Woodgate for thinking like, you know, uh, even though the, the season had, had gone pretty, pretty wayside, I got to, I got to be patient with this, with this process. And, and maybe that's him as a, as a former player and a, and a very well accomplished player, maybe taking the perspective too much of, of the players at that point, but it's like, all right, I'm a manager now. So what do I need to do? And I think one of the things is, is we gotta, we gotta really own and hone in on the fact that, Hey, it hasn't, it hasn't been good enough. We're not going to make excuses. Let's, let's look at film. Let's figure out some things that are going on here. And if it's, individuals yeah let's ask for individual accountability but then how can we then get the team involved to help that person with that accountability rather than isolate people and if there's one thing that uh you know football media loves to do they love to isolate people and uh and it, it's a team sport and it's really important that we look at systems and coverages and the support that's going to these individuals and look people that are making a lot of money are going to get a lot of scrutiny um, because if you're, if you're being paid pretty well to, to do a job and it's not getting done, yeah, you're, you're going to be open to, to scrutiny. I, I think coaches, when we, you really have to have the ability to have that conversation. And, and do your players trust you? So how do we build trust? Well, do I, it's really three pillars. It's empathy, it's logic, and it's authenticity. Who is my coach from an authenticity standpoint? Is this somebody who's different? in the media or with the fans or, um, with us. And that's somebody who's not very authentic. They're, they're blending in a lot, but like who, who is the person that I'm dealing with? Are they authentic? Yeah. Um, the second thing is, is, um, the idea of logic. Do I understand why the decisions are being made? And, and once I understand that, am I more likely to believe it and trust it? Right. So do I, is, is the logic of what we're doing and why we're doing it, um, apparent and clear so that, you know, I can, I can buy in and be like, okay, I, I understand the logic there. And then the empathy aspect is, you know, do you understand, you know, where I'm at? And look, a lot of, I think that's one of the benefits of having a former player as a, as a, as a manager, because that person can have a little bit more empathy, I think. But if you place those three factors in, in play as a manager, as a coach, now you have the ability to build some trust. You can have some conversations to try to, to nail this down. But I think the biggest thing is, is rather than think about we have to get a win, I think we need to start thinking I want to win. I, I think everybody that plays should want to win. Have to's 
I, look, I have to scoop dog poop when my dog goes to the bathroom. Otherwise, I'm going to get arrested, right? Um, there's a lot of have tos in life, um, but I should want to. And when we think about that mentality of, oh, God, we've lost so many games now and we, we might get demoted, what do we do? Um, we have to win. Of course you have to win, but you should want to win. And that should draw about an excitement rather than an anxiety of, oh, this needs to happen. And I think that, that that mindset right there, have to versus want to, in addition to not having trust and being able to have conversations to problem solve, th- those are big, big issues um, that if you, if you can't put those things in place, um, you're, you're going to struggle to have success. So you just, you just used an interesting word because I'm obviously just a fan watching when it comes to Middlesbrough and I don't have access to the players like our players to have conversations, but you said anxiety. And over and over again, watching Middlesbrough games, there is a seeming tension and anxiety, that uh, a lack of confidence you know, uh, in key moments. And to use the Phil Jackson point you just said, you're only a success in the moment you're succeeding. You know, I, I do agree with you that uh, we, we're defending a corner in the 87th minute and there's some thoughts seeping in. You know, the angry crowd, the relegation, the, uh, the criticism, the this happened last week, here we go again. It's like, it seems overly simplistic, but it's not an easy thing to do if you can just get the players to try and succeed in that moment, right? And take pride in winning a header. And I think what you battle against as a coach is you get these players and they want to get promoted to the Premier League and they want to you know, maybe even get a move away from Middlesbrough and they want a new contract and they want the fans to be happy. Nobody wants to fail, right? And uh, a header's just a header. But I can tell you that all the successful teams that I have been around and coached and been involved in, they celebrate tackles. They celebrate headers. They celebrate clearance set players. They get excited about it to the point that you get sometimes get people watching, like, what are they so excited about? It's just a corner. But if you can, if you're waiting for a goal, you might get one or two goals a game, so you're excited twice in two hours, right? Including the halftime interval. And But if you can get yourself excited about small successes, I'm a big believer in momentum and they build on top of each other. And that is a hill that uh, Millsborough failed to climb for me because they do, there is sometimes a total lack of excitement apparent in watching these games. And, and I, I think, uh, you know, again, thinking to um, – how coaches handle that, you know, somebody who's really stoic yet really encourages players to be uh, more energized and almost the opposite of of this individual is Bill Belichick, the coach of the New England Patriots and the NFL. Um, There's a video clip that I saw. Just quickly for, uh, sorry to interrupt, but just for any listeners who don't know who he is, that's uh, New England Patriots NFL head coach, um, winner of six Super Bowls as head coach. Multiple as an assistant and almost undebatably the greatest uh, NFL coach active or even all time. Yeah. And, and again, he's, he's so stoic. I mean, my, uh, and in New England, there's a, uh, in the United States, there's a shirt that has the same picture of Bill Belichick and has different emotions. Um, <laughs> Cause that's just who he is. I mean, if you watch his press conferences, he's, he's, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, he's, his press conferences are, are classic, but um, one of the things that I, I, I saw recently um, was a, a clip of him going over film with some coaches. And uh, this, I think this was at a coach's clinic. And he was saying, you know, I can tell when we're going to win or lose a game just by how our guys rally around and celebrate what they're doing. And he goes, you know, when, when, when one of our guys gets a sack, 
and two or three guys aren't going to celebrate that with that person. He goes, we're flat. We, we don't have that energy. And he goes, God, we work so hard. Like, please celebrate the hard work. Like when, when things work, like be, be really excited about that. Don't take it for granted. And I almost feel like with so much adversity and so much, so many missed opportunities and losses, Middlesbrough is really struggling to, to find any, like a, a win is a win. Let's, let's be excited about that. But it's almost like the season has been so difficult that it, it's almost like that doesn't even, yeah. doesn't even help, but it's like, can we, can we take this game by game? Because, yeah, yeah. you know, honestly, when we look at what happens with uh, relegation, <laughs> I mean, you, 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 you need to play in that world. Otherwise you're going to find yourself in another, in another league. So, I mean, a big trait of Middlesbrough fans and really all football fans is they win one game, the players get excited. You might see an Instagram video of players dancing in the locker room and it infuriates fans. Like, what are they celebrating about? They're like, they shouldn't be happy. They've won a game. They paid to win a game. Well, you, you need that team to be excited. <laughs> if, if you want that team to succeed, they better be excited because if they're not, then you won't like the end result. In fact, we're to somewhat extent living the end result. Um, so... I've got a couple other questions for you uh, that I'm fascinated to get your take on, given your background. And one is the type of goal conceded. And I don't have the answer to this, so I'm just really fishing for your take as education. But um, set play goals. You know, we've conceded set play goals. And is there a difference um, in terms of conceding a set play goal in terms of a regular goal? And the reason I ask that is, it's easily being mentally engaged in the game, right? When you're running full speed, you got run, someone running full speed at you. There's a ball flying around. It's very, it's very sensory overload, and it's very easy to be tuned in. But there does seem to be these teams and players that as soon as the whistle blows and it's only you know a few seconds delay, but the game stops and they put the ball down on the corner and a guy jogs out there, they're not quite as alert and they're not quite as intense. So is there a, is there a different mental stress on a set play where the game stopped than there is in a regular run of play game and so on. You know, I think, I think in the, one of the interesting things is it's, you, you need to be able to adapt when you're defending um, to a variety of different scenarios. And just cause you think you've seen one set play um, doesn't mean you've seen them all. Right. And, and that's the beauty. I think one of the most creative aspects of, of football is the fact that it can be, um, that set plays are exciting to watch who, who, how many, you know, who, who drops, who touches it, who, you know, I, who actually, where's the shot actually coming from? I got two people standing near it, right. You know, irreplaceable or, or irrespective of corner kick, obviously. But I, I think about, um, the creativity that goes into that. And, you know, one of the things that, um, one of the, one of the examples that I've seen where this has worked out really well, um, the Brazilian national team in the last, uh, in, in the, in the last, um, Copa de America, um, that was in Brazil. And, and remember Brazil is playing after a world cup that saw seven goals buried against them by Germany. I mean, what an embarrassment of, of the pride of, of Brazil and, and the, the pride of, I mean, the fans in Brazil for the national team, I mean, there's, there's been a rocky relationship, but, uh, you know, their, their coach, um, when they played Argentina in the, in the uh, COVID America, 
um, there was a similar situation where their, their goalkeeper who plays, um, I believe in the EPL. Um, Is it Allison? Yes. He, yeah. uh, he, he ended up, um, there was a goal that uh, in Champions League that Messi scored um, for Barcelona. And um, what happened was one of the people on the wall, um, you know, kind of cowered away ball goes, goes through and everything like that. And it, it didn't enable him to really cover what he saw as his assignment. I remember that goal semi-final. Yeah. And, and what was interesting is, um, so the, the Brazilian coaches are big on courage, you know, courage. Um, and he goes, I don't want you on this wall if you're not willing to, you know, truly take a ball um, so that, you know, we can really defend this. And, wouldn't you know it, Messi gets a similar situation and the ball's saved because, you know, people played their assignments. They learn from their mistakes. So I think there's a couple of things at play here. Um, one is, you know, you, you, you don't want to be in sensory overload because you, these things are inherently unpredictable, even in a corner. Like who's making a run back post, who's not, who's going to run maybe closer to the ball and the, the ball isn't even crossed in. I mean, you do your best to minimize the chances of success as much as possible. So how do I break that down to a very simplistic one or two focal points so that I don't get overloaded with where people are, or who's tugging on jerseys or the chaos that happens within set pieces. Um, so the, the other thing is, is really making sure that no matter the outcome, like how are we learning from that? And it, general Stanley McChrystal, um, who, led the U.S. forces in Afghanistan for the surge um, after uh, the terrorist attacks in the United States, he says, you know, it's not the lack of, uh, he goes, it's not mistakes that, that worry me. It's the lack of reflection. And, and I think that that's big. So uh, you're not always going to get it right, but I think, can we simplify it for people so that we can minimize the chance of success? Mm -hmm. And the second thing is, is let's make sure we have a really reflective process and, you know, that, I think that paid dividends for Brazil as they bounced back from a World Cup um, disappointment and, and had success in Copa de America um, as a result. So I think, you know, that, that's, that's a big part that, of the that's learning That's a huge process. pressure, right? Brazil national team, I mean. Big time. You think Middleton got it back? Watch, mm -hmm. the, watch the documentary on Brazil. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, another question I have for you, and it's a big suspicion I have for uh, Middlesbrough's struggles this season. And this has been something over my life in soccer, and I feel old saying that, but um, there has definitely been a shift to style over substance. And it's not for the better, you know, in terms of the young players you come across and in terms of fan narrative and in terms of uh, responsibility for results. And what I mean by that is you go back in the 90s when I was growing up as a Premier League fan, the result was the result. You know, you got, um, you got credit when you won. You got criticized when you lose. And if you lost, you know, I was told by every coach I ever had to figure it out and get better. And that went to the extreme. You know, if we played really, really well, outplayed the team, had 20 shots on goal and lost one nil to a corner, defend corners better. <laughs> if we outplayed a team in every aspect and all they had was a long ball over the top and we got beat off a couple of long balls in 90 minutes, cover better, defend long balls better. That's dying, and there's very much a moral victory in playing a certain way right now in soccer, and it's the weirdest thing, and I do think Woodgate and his staff beat that drum to the point it became a big negative. 
And if you listen to his press conferences uh, for just about the entire summer, the talk was of the youth academy. Uh, the talk was of the playing style, the possession, the high press, all this. That's all that was talked about. There was not very little mention of results. And then five games in, when we hadn't won a game and we'd lost to Blackburn, out of nowhere, the post-game chat from Woodgate was typical championship game. They've won the headers. They've won the tackles. They've grounded out. And we haven't. What right as a leader do you have to expect that when that's not the tone you're setting? If all you're talking about is young players and high press and possession and, you know, your teams are getting results against you and the fans can give it, oh, they park the bus, we play the right way, you're actually slitting your throat in terms of a competitive environment, no? You have to adapt. I mean, if there's anything that uh, the best teams in the world in any sport for that matter do is, is they find a way to adapt. Um, in the NHL, the National Hockey League in the United States, um, the big thing now is defensemen joining the offensive rush. Mm -hmm. um, whereas before it was more stay-at-home defense, you know, it was more physical, more body checking and, and maybe some up ice passes. But nonetheless, the expectation today is if there's no options to pass the puck to break out of an off or defensive zone, um, some of the higher draft picks from around the world um, are defensemen that can skate coast to coast and bring it up, almost a Sergio Ramos type, uh, you know, hey, I'm a defender for Spain and I'm just going to, you know, I'm, I'm bringing it up. And, you know, gosh, they, they, they live and die by that sometimes. But I, I think it's, you know, that the everything's evolving. And eventually, you know, when you become too predictable, that there's two things that we want to take a look at here. I mean, one is, can you do your job so well that even though you know what's going to happen, we could still be successful with it? You know, I, I think that's one of the hallmarks of good coaching sometimes is I can give you my playbook and we're going to be so disciplined and so good at executing it. Even though you know what's going to happen, you still can't beat us. Um, there's that mentality of things. But then there's the, how are we innovating, being more creative? How are we utilizing people in different situations so that we can have a better outcome? Um, and to, to sit on the laurels of, you know, well, this is the way that it, you know, this is the way the game should be played. Um, things are changing from how we look at concussions to how we look at player safety to, you know, a variety of different things. So how likely are we to see um, more headers now in the generation that's coming up in the concussion generation of let's, let's limit that to, you know, where we are in, in 10, 15 years from now. So I, I think that you make a really good point there where it's, I, I, we have to adapt. One of the hallmarks of New Zealand's, you know, infamous rugby team, uh, the All Blacks, is um, to innovate. Even though you're at the top, you need to continually think about what you can do to be better, and you don't just arrive at it. And I think, uh, I think it's cool to see the history of progress and the way that the game is played across a lot of different sports. But um, you know, moral victory or not, I mean, gosh, yeah, the the whole keep away again. I go back to Copa de America. And I think it was Chile um, that was playing basically keep away from the Brazilian national team um, and, and, you know, got a draw or something like that. And the Brazilian fans were irate because it's like they're not attacking, you know, they're not, they're not trying, they're, you know, holding on and, and wanting a tie and, and advance or whatever. And 
there, there's, yeah, you got to balance that out. But I think let's not take the creativity away from players and managers um, to innovate. And, and again, let's, let's be appreciative of, of the positive results when we get them. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's an interesting point you make about Brazil because I do remember that game. And I remember the, the criticism of the team that got the draw. And like, it's never in any sport been the responsibility of any team or coach or player to play in a way that your opponent approves of, right? It's, in fact, the opposite is true. It is your job to be a misery to play against. And for me, like, let's lead United in the championship right now. If I'm going to play Leeds and I'm going to send my fullbacks bombing up the field and then have 60% of the ball and get beat 3-0, I don't want to hear how good we were. I don't. I would rather go to Leeds, defend well, be disciplined, be strong, get a nil-nil one-all draw and have everyone criticize you how boring you are. It's, it's weird how it's spread through soccer because I've never heard an NBA fan say that, well, you know, the Warriors might have beat us, but they only shot threes. And I've never heard an NFL fan say, yeah, well, the Patriots might have won, but they, they can only throw slant patterns. But there is professional adult soccer coaches having conversations along the lines of, yeah, well, they might have beat us, but we play this way and they play that way as if it's some badge of honor. And it's not your job. (laughs) You're a professional adult coach. If you want to have the youth development conversation another time, we can have it. But I would argue even at the higher ends of youth development, you better be developing a mind that wants results and can cope with stress and pressure or you're not developing players. But anytime you take on the reins and take a salary from a professional team, you don't get to ignore results. And you don't get to have an opinion on how your opponent plays if it's within the rules. And I don't know when that died in soccer, but it is, it is gone. <laughs> and it's, it's not a strength. No, and, and I think one of the hard things too, and this is in sports period, um, I mean, gosh, the data we have available and the tracking of, of, of player load and, 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 all of, and, and all these statistical analyses and everything, um, there is a blend here where we have to look, let's get the information that we can get to make educated decisions. But there is a, there is a feel and there is a, um, there is an eye that people that are around the game still that can't necessarily be explained by statistics or analytics or anything. And, and I think it's similar to that too. It's like, Oh, we play the game this way or whatever. But I think there's also the, the other thing that we have to take a look at is how, how much has sports science almost neutralized instinct and, and that the human element yeah. of sport. And it's not just, it's not just football. I mean, it's, it, it's prevalent anywhere. And, and that's something that I'm always taking a look at too, because it's definitely a blend. Um, yeah, I, think- I think that's a great point because if you're a soccer team and let's say you get battered and you're on the back foot all game, but you have one counterattack and your striker gets one chance in 90 minutes, just one, and he scores it. What's that worth? Yeah. To me, that's not equal <laughs> to yeah. having a good game for a good team. And there are those players that can do that. And when, when it happens, it should be praised more than it is because it can be a very difficult thing as a coach to have a completely outgunned team personnel-wise and get a result. It can be a very difficult thing as a striker to get very little of the ball, but when the little you do, you manage to make something of it. And we, we almost ignore that because we all want to attach ourselves to the winner and the seemingly bigger dog right so a neutral will watch let's say man city v brighton 
and have no affiliation with either team, but side with Manchester City because they're like, how is if the game's nil nil? How is it more impressive that Man City with their world superstars have performed to a nil nil draw than the Brighton team? And why are we criticizing teams for getting results under pressure circumstances against real tough opponents? There's like an almost disrespect of game plan now, you know? Yeah, and and again, the teams. Teams that uh, find ways to be successful, I think, find ways to be innovative. And, and again, the whole analytics in sports started with the Oakland A's, who have yeah. no budget, but found a way to be playoff contenders. And that has permeated to a variety of different things. I mean, heck, even warfare has changed from, you know, standing armies and tanks to, you know, small special forces teams that, you know, go in and under darkness and, I mean, so even the way that we, even the way that we fight wars, let alone, you know, play sports, success has always been because of innovation and adaptation. And um, there's still so many ways to, to, to adapt and innovate. And, and again, if it achieves a result, can we be appreciative of that result? I, I 100% agree. Yeah. All right. Well, appreciate your time, Stephen. And I came on here. Hoping you'd talk to me about Middlesbrough defending corners better and you've taught me how to win a war. How to win a war. So you have, you have not disappointed. <laughs> um, the, 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 the quote I've heard about winning wars is, you know, you have to make it absolutely unbearable for the opposition. There you uh, go. And that is, what, that is what Middlesbrough Football Club should pin up on the locker room wall. I don't care how they do it, but that is the approach we should take in the game. So if you're listening, Neil Warnock, which I'm sure you're not, Ben, please make it unbearable for the opposition. Amen. <laughs> All right.